0: Heavenly Father, I I pray that you be with me this morning as I uh, as I share your Word, Lord. Help me to help me to be faithful. Um, help me to focus on on um, preaching your Word and on being in 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 the Scriptures, like according to your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that that my own uh, my own desires, my own preferences, my own inclinations wouldn't get in the way um, of properly sharing the message this morning, but that it would be your Word and your Gospel that gets. Gets preached. Um, and pray, Lord, that you would be with the folks who are here and, and help them to hear from you, help them to know you more intimately. Uh, I pray that uh, um, the, that folks would uh, would hear from the Spirit this morning as a part of hearing the Word. Um, in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Uh, we are continuing on uh, Peter's household code. This week We're working our way through 1 Peter. Before I, I jump into the text, though, I, uh, I wanted to share a story, which I think I do every week, so I shouldn't even have to explain that. Um, many years ago, I, uh, I, I, I got a job at a uh, factory in Northern California that made uh, concrete tiles for roofs, um, and, and uh, it was a temp job. Uh, it was shortly after Jess and I got married, and and we moved to California, and I had a number of temp jobs that I did looking for uh, ministry work. And uh, um, this was uh, honestly one of the more memorable temp jobs I had. I know I had a few, and I can't remember what most of them were, but this one. Um, and it was because uh, I, I, I don't remember how long I worked there. I have about a dozen stories from my time working there, and so it was at least a day. Um, but I, on this job, like there were these guys, and their their job was to work with these tiles, and to pull them off the line, and to stack them, and pack them. And these guys, I mean, these things are huge. I mean, and they weighed 60 pounds apiece. And so these these workers are all pretty pretty unlike me. Uh, they're all fit and strong and young. And um, myself and another fellow, we were hired at the same time as temps through the same temp agency, and um, the other guy was a very outspoken believer, and he was also incredibly lazy, um, which is weird. For me to say someone is lazy, like that is, that is a statement, right? Like he was lazier than me, and um, he was also very loud. And again, this is me talking, <laughs> but, but he was also he was loud about his faith, but he was also loud about his complaints about the people around him. And, and it was interesting because I, I watched this guy at one point in time. He, he came to work without his lunch one day, and all of these guys they, they gave him part of their lunch so he had something to eat. Um, and he was very grateful and everything else. But then later in the day, I overheard him complaining loudly. The whole factory heard him about how they were all—all all the other workers were devils because they, you know, weren't encouraging to him, or because they kept giving him grief. And they were giving him grief because. He wasn't doing his job. <laughs> and it was an awful job. Like, I don't blame him for not wanting to do it. I mean, you're shoveling concrete, you know, and, and um, you know, I, they'd have spillage. And, and there is just nothing worse than collecting up spilled wet concrete. I, I, and that was the kind of garbage duty you got as a temp. You know, you, you move bags of concrete, you know, powder and, and everything. I mean, it was just awful work. But this guy complained the whole time, all day, every day, complained about everyone about it, around him, complained about the work, um, would routinely disappear. But he was very outspoken about how he belonged to Jesus. And, and I, I think I related to him. I talked to him quite a bit, and he was a nice guy, except for the fact that he was, you know, all this other stuff. But he had just gotten married, and I had just gotten married, and, and he was a believer, and I was a believer. And so I had all this in common with him, and I watched him, and I found myself thinking, I want to be anybody but that guy. Um, the reason i 'm starting with this is um, the next little bit of peter 's household code here um, deals with something that that is a little out of context for us it 's about slavery, right, and most of us aren 't slaves anymore. Some of us are married, right guys um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> <laughs> and we 're not slaves. <laughs> I, 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 sorry. It was just a joke. I, um, but it's a little out of context, but there's some principles here that apply in other settings. Um, there's a lot of material to discuss in this passage. I, I think it's one I could reasonably do a series on, but I don't want to, um, because it's a tough subject. Um, and so we're going to dive into it and we got to dive in with background. Um, Peter in this letter so far, uh, has been encouraging, uh, the church, to um, take certain attitudes and certain approaches to the people around them. We've been able to kind of pull out the idea that the readers, the recipients of this letter, are mostly poor, Right, A lot of them were probably slaves, and some, there's some hints in this text here that we're looking at that indicate that a big chunk of the folks that are receiving the letter are probably slaves. Um, they were uh, lower class. Some of them were persecuted for their faith. And so um, Peter's writing these guys, and he's given this whole Christian ethic about being Christ-like and being set apart and saying, listen, you're not of this world. You're a holy nation. You're going to hear me say that a lot because that's the foundation for the ideas that we're getting into here. Um, last week we talked about Caesar, right, and this idea that um, we're to operate in relation to Caesar um, as, as God's ambassadors, you know, and, and and as foreigners, like we're passing through this country. Um, and as if talking about Caesar wasn't hard enough, now we're going to do slavery. Um, some clarification here. The text we're looking at has historically been really misused okay um it has been contorted it's been um eisegeted is the technical term that means you look at a text and you put your meaning into it as opposed to figuring out what the meaning of the text is that you draw out of it um it during the uh build up to the civil war this is one of the texts that was used to argue in favor of slavery um which is not It's always funny to me that there are these isolated passages like this one that folks will use and say, look, the Bible supports slavery, but then they ignore, like, the whole book of Philemon, which is a book that says, hey, Philemon, you own this slave. He's coming back to you having robbed you, and you need to free him because it's not right to own a brother. Like, I mean, the New Testament definitely points in the direction of slavery, you know, immoral. And, in fact, actually, if you look at the Bible as a whole, um the Jews and the Christians were very set apart in their treatment of slavery and their attitudes toward it. So, a much bigger discussion. Um, as we look at this, this passage does not support slavery. Okay. It is not an ethical statement about whether or not you should own slaves, whether or not the institution is moral. It, it just isn't. Right. Like, even at the best of terms, it's a morally inferior thing. And that's like the best of terms. Um, bluntly, it's an evil institution. Right. Like, it is a part of the fall. It is a part of the brokenness of our world. One last thing. In the first century, slavery was very different than our concept. Because we say slave and you picture plantation, right? And picture chains and whips and all kinds of other stuff. Slavery in this context, in the first century, if you were a slave, um, some people chose to become slaves, actually. It wasn't something you were necessarily born into. Um, It was something you could choose to do for a period of time um, in order to pay off debts. It was something, actually, um, slaves... As we understand them, like chattel slavery, which would have been what was common here in the New World, um, slavery in the first century was uh, slaves often had social status, and your social status was based on your master. And so if you were a slave who worked for a wealthy man, people dealt with you like you were a wealthy man. Um, oftentimes, slaves were very educated. Luke was a slave, like the apostle Luke was a slave before becoming free, Um, and Luke was a doctor and was probably trained to be a doctor during his time in slavery because what would happen is you would have these guys who were wealthy merchants, and they would own slaves, and they would have things they needed done that they didn't want to learn to do themselves. So they would have their slaves educated, and they were able to do these things. Um, Slaves could often gain their freedom. In fact, actually, there's some early writers that encourage Christians to become slaves so that they can... Um, become Roman citizens, because if you were a slave to a Roman citizen and you gained freedom, you're automatically granted citizenship, which is a huge deal. Like getting citizenship to Rome was it afforded you rights, it afforded you protections. It afforded you certain like like special treatments. Um, it was a big deal. And so slavery, again, is a very complicated um, and, and unusual institution compared to what we understand. Still horribly immoral, but I'm trying to give some context. Actually interesting thing, slaves in the first century could own their own slaves, <laughs> just weird like <laughs> I mean, but it was a thing like you could earn money, slaves were paid a certain amount of money, and you could earn your freedom by saving up enough money to buy yourself out it was It was just very different um, again, still immoral don 't hear me saying anything other than that. it is still wrong, but it is different, um, and it's part of the reason why chattel slavery being justified is is wrong as well because this was you know like new world slavery was hugely dehumanizing and it was it was wicked at a level that you know that that's pretty special in our world and that's saying something right um whereas this is a very different institution again still evil um, but very different and so applying this text to that is not um appropriate all right we're going to dive into the text so peter has just gotten done talking about caesar saying hey Um, As you deal with Caesar, deal with him in this way, like in a manner of respect, like understand you're guests in this world, you don't belong here, the matters of this world are sort of like not your matters. Um, A quick aside here, by the way, um, I had a couple people approach me last week and I want to clarify some things. That text is not saying go along with everything, right? Um, There was a common practice in the first century that I wanted to cite and I didn't, where It was illegal amongst Roman citizens to raise a disabled child. Like if you had a child and that child was like, you know, had six fingers or, you know, on on one hand or was um, obviously uh, um, handicapped or or disabled in some way or um, if the child was unhealthy, it was the law in Rome that you had to kill the child rather than raise it. Um, and it was a very strictly enforced law, and what people would do is they would take their baby out of the city, leave it in the woods, and go home, and that was it. Um, it was a very common practice amongst first, second, and third century Christians to go out into the wilderness and pick up children and bring them home and raise them illegally um, because it was a horrible, immoral practice. And when we encounter as believers things that are obvious evils, it is our responsibility to act accordingly. Does that make sense? Like, we don't close our eyes to evil. We speak out against it. We raise against it. We respond to it. But at the same time, like, we're not of this world. We're passing through. It's like me visiting Jordan and suddenly becoming involved in their politics. That would be nuts. Um, so, we get into this slavery thing. Um, slaves, in reverent fear to God, submit yourselves to your master's not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So again, this particular verse often used as a, you know, misused in this way, but he's not actually saying this is a good institution. He's saying, listen, whatever institution you find yourself in, whatever position you find yourself in, recognize you belong to God, right? And act like God's representative. Um, If you have a master that is good and righteous, that's a positive thing. Deal with him. If he's wicked, that's not so good, but you still don't change who you are based on the behavior of others. Um, the example I, I sometimes have heard used, um, I had a pastor friend of mine in Indiana who would always say this. He would say, he would tell the story about the man and the woman coming up to a building. Have I used this? You know, a man and a woman are walking up to a building and the man sees the woman and runs up to the door and holds it open for her. And the woman stops and says, are you holding that door open because I'm a woman? And the guy responds, no, it's because I'm a gentleman. Um, we behave the way we behave because that's who we are, not because of the circumstances we find ourselves in. And so if I'm a follower of Jesus, I behave like a follower of Jesus, whether I'm here on Sunday morning, whether I'm driving a, you know, on the way to Great Falls, whether I'm... Standing in a restaurant, whether I'm surrounded by men who are are um, up to evil deeds or whatever, you know, like I act like a follower of Jesus because that's who I am, right? I can't take my dog into a fancy restaurant and expect him to act like he belongs in a fancy restaurant. It's he's a dog, which is sort of a negative version of this example. <laughs> um, we are who we are. We act according to what we are. And in this case, Paul, uh, Peter says, "Hey." Guys, if you're in slavery, and Paul says, look, if you can gain your freedom, gain it. But what he says, and Peter agrees, act like a believer. Act like you are someone who is a representative of Christ, regardless of where you are. Um, You are his people no matter what. Um, And so if you find yourself in this position and you are being mistreated, respond in a loving way. Respond as Christ would respond. Respond. Um for it is commendable. This is what's called, by the way, an inclusio. It's something that it's a Latin word. I, I'm not sure when it started. Um it's something we find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's a form used to make a point. And it's where they would use a phrase or a word at the beginning and the end of a sentence to make a point. Um so in this case it is, for it is commendable, because Peter starts with that and he ends with that. And so what's in the middle here is like a huge deal. Um, If someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. um, So it is a commendable thing. It is a thing to be admired if I suffer and if I am mistreated or if I experience hardship or depression or abuse or whatever um, unjustly because of my relationship with God. Like, because I am conscious of my relationship with God. Meaning, um, in this instance, slaves. If you're aware that you are someone who belongs to God and you behave this way under suffering, um, this is a commendable thing. This is something that's to your credit. Um, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating or do, or do for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, it is a commendable before God. So it's this little inclusio. What's he doing here? He's saying, like my guy at the factory, everybody disliked that guy. And um, he, at the end of his time temping, he was done. And in fact, actually the factory foreman pulled me aside and said, we want to hire you, that other guy we're getting rid of. He ain't staying here. Um, and he was very clear. He's like, you're you're working hard. That guy isn't. Um, again, really low bar. Um, and that guy, whenever anybody reprimanded him, he would turn around and cry about, like, oh, people are persecuting me for my faith. And he's like, oh, they're persecuting you because you're hiding in the bathroom for an hour instead of working. Like... <laughs> But what's happening there is he was receiving reprimand for his own poor action, for his own poor representation of what he's supposed to be, for his own, like, like falling short. And don't get me wrong, I've gotten this plenty of times. I, I drop the ball a lot. But, like, he can't back up and say, oh, this is me being persecuted for Jesus, because it ain't. He wasn't. He was just a crummy worker. Um, <clears throat> On the other end of that, if I am a representative of Christ and I am mistreated, and I do so with grace, I do so reflecting Christ in my actions and attitude and behavior, um, I'm doing something that puts me in a special place in relation to God. Now, there's a whole lot of discussion you could have where you say, does that mean I get extra jewels in my crown, or am I going to have an extra, extra room in heaven, you know, like, oh, that earned me the hot tub in heaven. I mean, I don't know, right? Like, like he's not real clear on this. I will tell you, um, and I believe this is the case. Uh, if you look at, um, if you look at people who endure suffering, um, and do so in the name of Christ, with their eyes set on Christ, um, it changes them. Uh, the the big obvious crazy example is a woman named Corey Temboom. Right. Um, If you haven't read The Hiding Place, I would highly recommend it. It's one of the best books I've read in the last few years. Um, This is a young woman whose family hid Jews during World War II. They were found out, and they were sent to concentration camps. Um, Actually, her and her sister were sent to concentration camps. The rest of the family was executed outright. Um, And she was brought in, and an SS officer interrogated her, and she told him about Jesus. And the guy broke down and cried and didn't torture her because he was so convicted by what she said. But her attitude wasn't. I hate you, I can't believe you're about to do this. It was, let me tell you about repentance. Let me tell you about the love of Christ. Let me tell you about, and, and it made all the difference. And when she went to camp, like, and she's in these horrible places, um, she took care of the people around her. She actually, one of the, oh, my gosh, I am the worst person that I'm even talking about this kind of goodness compared to how my attitude is. Um, she said that she would pray and thank God for the fleas that ate at her at night because it kept the guards from coming in so they could do Bible study it during the day. Like the guards would stay out of the barracks so they could read the Bible. And she's like, thank God for the fleas because the guards don't come in now. Oh my gosh. Like, but that's an attitude under suffering that reflects who Christ is, right? And I think it's a supernatural thing. I don't think that's something that you normally come across. Um That is... I don't think it's something you could just do by trying hard either. This is a, I am a follower of Jesus. This is who I am, a natural outcropping of it. Um, It's an apple tree bearing apples because it's an apple tree, right? Because no matter what, a thorn bush can't try really hard and grow apples, I assume. I'm not a farmer. Um, And so Peter's saying, listen... If you suffer for doing good, it's commendable before God. And what's the reward? Ultimately, God is the reward we receive. This intimacy, this deeper faith, this deeper connection, it grows us in a way that nothing else can. Um, you want to meet some some believers, and I'm often humbled encountering them, but I'll, I'll go to um, AA meetings, you will sit down with these guys who are believers who have come out of, like, awful places and, like, Like suffered so much in their lifetime, and a lot of it by their own hands. So don't get me wrong, you know. But like, they develop a deep faith that you don't really encounter in a lot of places. It's amazing. Um, When we suffer for doing good, it draws us into harmony, into deep relationship with God. I think there's reward that accompanies it, Um, and this isn't instant. Um, Peter is writing this. Peter is the guy who. When he first heard about the cross, his response was to say, absolutely not. It will never happen. I will never allow it. And then the next time he heard it, he said, well, I'll go with you. I would die next to you. And then he ran away crying. Um, And then the, the next time, he cussed out a little girl rather than acknowledging he knows Jesus and risked going to the cross with him, right? But then you flash forward a few decades, like three decades and Peter goes to the cross willingly and actually says to to the the guys who are going to execute him, like, hey, I'm not worthy to die the same way as, as my Lord. And they they hang him upside down instead, which was probably about a 100 times worse. Um, but he changed. Like, this is a part of following God. Like, and maturing, this is a product of maturity. We become what we were meant to be. Um, and so when we experience suffering... If we do so with a conscious knowledge of God, if we sit in Christ and endure it, it's a huge thing. Does that mean it's good? No. Does that mean we should chase after suffering? I don't think so. (laughs) I'm not running out trying to suffer. Um, If you go into the early church, there were examples of people who would intentionally suffer. Uh, Justin Martyr is one example. He's an early church father who made a huge impact on the growth of Christianity in the second century. But his father was Arrested and executed, and he tried to go out to be executed with him, and his mom hid all his clothes so he couldn 't leave the house um, <laughs> like because he was so eager, like, "Hey, let burn me too, you know oh my gosh, what is wrong with you um, <laughs> but i don 't think we pursue it you know in this way, but we endure it when we encounter it. Um, to this you were called. Now, so Peter is given a standard, and now he's going to get, do a diversion. He's going to step away from his point. Um, when you are persecuted, endure it like Christ. And now he's going to step away and give his theological justification. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Um, so Peter starts and he's saying, Listen, Christ is your example. Don't take that lightly. When you suffer, when you mourn, when you, um, are crushed, when people persecute you, when for no good reason people talk trash about your, or, or what have you. And like we're, most of us aren't getting beaten on a regular basis, right? Like if you have a job other than intern at a church and someone is beating you, that's completely out of the employment bounds. Um, <laughs> The, like, most of us aren't experiencing this, but it is the case that sometimes we are persecuted. It is the case that sometimes we're mistreated. It is the case that sometimes we catch the short end of the stick because of who we are, or because of what we are. Sometimes people do it just because they're jerks, right? Um, and his example, he says, listen, Christ suffered for you, and this is the example. Follow in his steps. Um, When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so in Christ's example, we see this, right? They hurled insults at him, and he was silent. They mistreated him, and he didn't threat. He didn't say, hey, you know what? When I get to heaven, I'm bringing angels back with me, and you guys are going to be sorry. None of that stuff. Like, In fact, actually, the famous phrase, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Like he prayed for the people who were crucifying him, and that was what he taught: like pray for those who persecute you, pray for those who mistreat you, pray for those who hate you, um, because to be like Christ is is our goal. This is our mission. It is our journey. Um, we're foreigners in this world. We're aliens. We're we're passing through, and we're passing through on our way. To heaven like and christ-likeness and so when we experience frustration we experience persecution we experience loss um i think that this principle can apply to a lot of different places apart from just being persecuted by you know your your master your your boss or whatever um we pursue christ in it we grow christ-like through suffering we we dig deep and we set a deep foundation in jesus um Paul, the, uh, when Paul would be arrested, he had a uh, uh, a response. Like, he would they would arrest him, and they'd say, all right, Paul, we're going to torture you. And he would say, great, I get to suffer in the same way that Jesus suffered. Bring it on. And I'm like, well, then we're going to execute you. And he's like, well, good. I get to go to heaven. Let's do this. And I'm like, we don't even know what to do with this guy. Like, <laughs> what do we do with him? Um, like, the reality is, that when we experience this hardship, Paul's attitude, maybe not cheering about it. I'm, I'm not at that point. I'm, I'm fleshly, right? But like Paul's attitude of, you know what, when I experience this, I know Jesus better. Um, I often say that uh, when Abraham was forced to offer Isaac up as a sacrifice, we all know this story, right? God said, hey, I want you to take your only son and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham got up and took Isaac to Mount Moriah, which is where Jesus was crucified thousands of years later, um, and he went to offer him up, and God stopped him and provided a ram like and, and he sacrificed that instead. Um, and a lot of people read that story and say, "Man, this is like the most horrible story ever. Like why would God do that to him?" But at the end of that, like Abraham understood god 's perspective the way pretty much nobody in history ever would, right. Like he stood in the place that Christ was offered up and he offered his son. And in that he knows the father's anguish in offering his son for us. Like these experiences of difficulty provide a window to see God's heart. Um, and intimacy is found there. Uh, husbands, there's a little tip there. I'm going to aside here. There's a rabbit trail. If you want to like get your wife to fall head over heels one day, spend some time trying to understand her. Am I wrong, ladies? Because when men understand their wives, there's intimacy there. That's what we're designed for. The best experiences I have with people around me are when I sit and I talk to them and I hit this point where I feel like I understand them. To be understood is is huge. It draws us close. And in suffering, we understand Christ and we bear weight on his behalf. Um, he himself this is quoting isaiah he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds we are healed now he's picking out of isaiah 53 Um, if you put this next to isaiah 53 on like when you get home and read them together there's some cool stuff there because paul is or peter is very loosely quoting what he's basically saying is look Jesus was this suffering servant. Jesus bore the weight of the cross. He carried our sin, he carried our shame, he like was crushed for our iniquity, like all of this stuff. and when we experience the same thing, we share that. We stand next to him in it. Um, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls um and so Peter ends this little section with this like. Again, Isaiah 53, you like sheep were were straying, but you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He's saying, listen, when you experience this suffering, you have this opportunity to know what Christ experienced. But also you can back up and turn around and say, Christ suffered this way because I wandered off. Christ suffered this way because I am jealous or because I'm bitter or because I'm petty or because I... um, because I am filled with doubt, because I drink too much, or because I look at pornography, or because I mistreat my spouse, because I ignore my kids, because I'm selfish sometimes, or or whatever it is, like all of this sin that we like wallow in, Christ suffered on our behalf, and he suffered to bring us home. And so like his instruction to slaves here, um, which is an instruction to all of us regardless of whether or not you're a slave, most of you probably aren't, Um, But it is, as you experience difficulty, stand as his representative. As you're persecuted, do so like he did it. And in experiencing these things and in enduring these things, it deepens your faith. It helps you to know him more intimately. Um, And in the same way, it helps you to understand just exactly how far he went on your behalf. Um, I'm astonished at how far Christ would go for someone like me, I mean, I, I I I don't get it, to be honest with you. Um, and I I wish it wasn't, you know, the case that I'm this bad. But like, I'm grateful that Jesus died for me, and I'm here to tell you, Christ died for you as well. Again, so when you struggle, when you suffer, when you when the people you work with, you know, put you on the garbage duty because they're they're taking advantage of you, or because because they don't like how you talk or how you behave or your attitude. When when you struggle with sin and resist it, honestly, because I think that's a part of this discussion, all of this draws us into Christ-like presence, and it deepens our faith. It makes us better. My challenge for you this week is... My challenge for you is to look inside and ask yourself, like, what am I using the trial that God puts me in for? Because most people experience trial. Is that fair enough? Um, What am I using it for? Am I using this to deepen my relationship with Christ? Am I using it to be his ambassador to the people around me? Are folks knowing the Father more intimately because of who I am? Like because I am reflecting him. Are you, what is it, are you doing it because I'm this? No, I'm doing it because I'm a believer in Christ. Are you treating me well because... Nope, I'm treating you well because I'm a believer in Christ. Because this is what Christ commands me to do. Because I belong to him. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. And, and, and again, I'm challenging you. Like, are you representing him? Are you being him to the world? Or are you the guy complaining and making him look bad? Like the guy I worked with. Um, like me on about a million other occasions. But that's an aside. Um, who are you, what are you doing, how are you living? Um, And what do you need to do to change? Heavenly Father, I pray that the folks who are here today, um, I pray that they would look at their jobs, look at their employment, look at their daily occupation, look at their role in the family, Lord. I mean, like that. Um, The job that they do every day as a part of their existence. I pray that they would look at it and like, Approach it as people who are your representatives, people who are carrying the gospel through their actions, um, people who make following you look like real salvation, like a real new life and change. Um, I pray that you would help us in our time of difficulty. Lord, when we struggle with being depressed or when we struggle with feeling unfulfilled or lonely or when we struggle with loss, I pray that we would dig deep and find Christ in it. And that these things would become an opportunity for us to know you more intimately, Lord. Um, I pray that the folks here who are listening, who are, who are hearing your word this morning, that above all else, that they would know Christ. And that they would know him to the to the core of who they are. That when they suffer for righteousness, they point to Jesus and they say, he did this for me and I'll do this for him. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a good time.